last Thursday, March the 31st, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Putin said to be misinformed and Russian troops repositioned. First, the world in brief. American and European officials said Vladimir Putin has been misinformed by his aides about the Russian army's poor performance in Ukraine. A spokeswoman for the Biden administration said the Russian president's quote, senior advisers are too afraid to tell him the truth. There were suggestions of significant tension between Mr. Putin and Sergei Shoigu, his defense minister. Quote, one of the Achilles heels of autocracies is that you don't have people in those systems that speak truth to power, said Anthony Blinken, America's Secretary of State. The Pentagon said a fifth of Russian troops near Kyiv, Ukraine's capital, have repositioned in the past day, some to Belarus. No soldiers have returned to their home garrison. A spokesman predicted that Russia would, quote, resupply them and probably employ them elsewhere in Ukraine. If Russia were serious about de-escalation, quote, they should send them home, he added. Separately, the Biden administration pledged $500 million in budgetary aid to Ukraine's government to pay salaries and maintain equipment. Ukraine's head negotiator said that it would take at least a year for the country to hold a referendum on whether to become a neutral country. Ukrainian neutrality is a key Russian demand and it was discussed at peace talks in Turkey on Tuesday. The Ukrainian delegation also presented their conditions for the end of the war. Dmitry Peskov, a spokesperson for the Kremlin, told Reuters, a news agency, that he saw no sign of a breakthrough yet. Germany's government said that the country will still be able to pay for Russian gas in euros or dollars after a call between Chancellor Olaf Scholz and Vladimir Putin. Russia had previously said that payments would have to be made in rubles, causing Germany to move towards rationing gas. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden is reportedly preparing to release up to 1 million barrels of oil per day from America's strategic reserves to try and combat high energy prices. The ruble recovered to its pre-war value despite the West's sanctions on Russia. The currency, which crashed in early March, traded at 76 rubles to a dollar on Thursday, a stronger rate than before Russia's invasion. Russia has imposed capital controls and raised interest rates to 20% to protect its currency. Other news. Britain said two of its Supreme Court judges would no longer sit on Hong Kong's top court. The two judges, who are part of the 12 overseas positions in the court, said the threat to civil liberties in Hong Kong made their role untenable. The future of Imran Khan, Pakistan's Prime Minister, looked in doubt after a coalition partner defected to the opposition, leaving the government without a parliamentary majority. Mr Khan faces a no-confidence vote in the coming days. Susan Collins, a Republican senator in Maine, said she planned to vote to confirm Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court. She is the first Republican senator to have expressed support for Joe Biden's Supreme Court pick. She may be the last. 
activity in China's factory and services sector fell in March. It was the first time that both sectors had contracted simultaneously since February 2020. GoTo Group, an Indonesian tech giant, said it plans to raise $1.1 billion in an IPO later this month. The company, which was formed after a merger between two of Indonesia's biggest startups, Gojek and Tokopedia, is valued at about $28 billion. The yield on two-year American sovereign bonds rose above that of 10-year ones. Such inversions often precede recessions, though investors did not appear to be too worried. And fact of the day, $150 billion, the value of India's software services exports last year, almost 6% of the country's GDP. And now here's today's agenda. Ukraine's European aspirations. Even as they fend off Russia's attacks, Ukraine's politicians have repeatedly made a plea for the country's post-war future. It would like to become a member of the European Union. Ukraine's demands for immediate membership are unrealistic. Preparation for joining the EU requires adopting the bloc's rules, which even countries at peace struggle with. But Eastern European members, such as Bulgaria and the Czech Republic, would like Ukraine to be designated a candidate for accession, or at least promised it will be allowed to join if it carries out the required reforms. The EU's original members, such as France and the Netherlands, are cooler, worried about problems in existing members, such as Poland and Hungary. A rapprochement between Ukraine and the EU preceded Russia's invasion of bits of Ukraine in 2014. But recently, Russia has suggested it would not object to Ukraine joining. Having already launched an all-out war, it has nothing left with which to stymie Ukraine's European ambitions. OPEC Plus – The Cruel Cartel The world may be heading for the most powerful energy shock since the 1970s. With Russia's significant petroleum exports reduced, consuming economies are looking to the organisation of the petroleum exporting countries for relief. The oil cartel, led by Saudi Arabia, will meet virtually on Thursday with a broader group of countries, including Russia, that together comprise OPEC+. With oil markets tight, prices above $100 a barrel and the prospect of further disruptions from the war in Ukraine, a big increase in output would be welcomed by politicians concerned about soaring petrol prices and rising inflation. Alas, OPEC Plus is unlikely to ride to the rescue. One reason is loyalty to Russia. Another is concern about a fresh wave of COVID-19 cases, weakening growth and demand for oil. All 23 of the experts surveyed by Bloomberg, a publisher, predict that the cartel will stick to plans for only a modest increase in production. By invitation, Svetlana Tikhonovskaya on Belarus and Ukraine. This is an excerpt from a guest essay by the Belarusian opposition leader. You can read the full article at economist.com. 
Belarus can't be free without a free Ukraine, and vice versa. The 674-mile-long border between them means that a Russian-controlled autocrat in Minsk, our capital, can always threaten Ukrainian stability. Dismantling Alexander Lukashenko's dictatorship in Belarus would help Ukraine win the war. And there could be no stronger punishment for the Kremlin than seeing Russia share a border with a democratic Belarus. Furthermore, a Ukrainian victory would make democracy in Belarus far more likely to emerge. Europe is more secure if Belarus is free. To avoid pressure, Mr Lukashenko will try to coax and cajole Western leaders as his fortunes change. He is already threatening to station Russian nuclear weapons in Belarus. He removed the constitutional provision that had previously made Belarus a non-nuclear country in a sham referendum in February. Mr Lukashenko may even eventually pose as a peacemaker. Don't be fooled. You can't plead for peace while bombing your neighbours. Evergrande's Belated Books China's most indebted property developer was supposed to release an audited report on its troubled finances on Thursday. But the company, which defaulted on offshore bonds in December, has said the report will be delayed, partly because of additional checks by auditors. They have a lot to unravel. Earlier this month, for example, Evergrande revealed that 13.4 billion yuan, $2.1 billion of cash held by its property services unit, had in fact been pledged last year to guarantee loans, and that the lenders had duly seized it. Strapped for cash, the group is trying to repay creditors with property instead. On March 30th, it said it had sold its stake in a project named, quote, Crystal City, in Zhejiang province, to a developer and a construction company, to whom it owes almost 921 million yuan. A plan for restructuring its other debts is due by the end of July. Evergrande's creditors will hope that deadline does not also slip. How to write about Vladimir Putin Various biographers writing in English have tried to colour in the Russian president's implacably grey persona. In Inside Putin's Russia, Andrew Jack concluded that while Mr Putin was a threat to liberalism, he was at least reliable. David Satter's Darkness at Dawn was the first book to gauge the evil in the system. In it, he accused Russia's secret service of orchestrating bombings in 1999 that ignited the Second Chechen War and helped Mr Putin to the presidency. As Mr Putin's rackets became more brazen, greed ousted greyness. In Putin's People, Catherine Belton describes the government as a machine for expropriating assets. But it was a novel that most clearly saw where Putinism was heading. Day of the Opreshnik by Vladimir Sorokin depicts a Russia in 2028, walled off from Europe. The Tsar has been restored, but even he must quote, bow and cringe before China. Published in 2006, Mr Sorokin's satirical dystopia now seems more prescient than outlandish. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day. 
On Friday, your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Thursday. Who was the recipient of the first phone call made by Alexander Graham Bell? Wednesday. Which one-act play by Tom Stoppard is a parody of Agatha Christie dramas? Finally, here's the quote of the day from René Descartes, who was born on this day in 1596. In order to seek truth, it is necessary once in the course of our life to doubt, as far as possible, of all things. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 